0: Book of Acts, this this character Peter was kind of like the central figure. The second half of the book is this guy, Paul. But, but Peter the apostle is, is the main character. And one thing that, that stands out with Peter is there's this pattern in his life, both that we see in the gospels as well as in the book of Acts, of this pattern of like conversions. And notice I didn't just say one time, conversions. Transformations, awakenings in his life. Like this is a guy who walks with Jesus for three years, and he constantly has these moments where Christ is finding a layer of his life, and he's exposing it, and then he's transforming it. He's converting it. He's allowing this this, this new awakening. You know, he's he's constantly uh, he runs out of courage. We see after the resurrection a totally different Peter. Right at the day of Pentecost, he. Uh, he, he, he preaches this, this message, and 3,000 people are, are added to the church in one day. Um, and let me press pause for a second, because you know what I forgot? Like, a, like every single week, uh, almost, is the offering. And and, and I see the, the shining plates, and, and I forgot. So, um, ushers, would you please pass uh, this? And I'm, I'm so sorry for forgetting for that. Forgive me. Um, that's an area that I need transformation on and conversion on an awakening on. So thank you for your faith, unless you go ahead and pass those. Sorry about that. But we see this guy, Peter, and in, in his own life, even after the Holy Spirit comes into his life, and there's this brand new boldness, do you realize that it's like five to ten years later, after Pentecost, that he's on the, he's on the roof of this house, and, and Jesus has to come to him? And in this vision, where the sheet comes down, do you remember this story? And there's animals, clean and unclean, on it. And Jesus has to come to him to to confront racism in his heart. Because if you remember way back before the, I mean, this is like you know before Pentecost in Matthew 28, Jesus says, "Go into all the people groups, all the ethnos, all the groups, and preach the gospel." And he hadn't done it. And and it's like there's this pattern in his life of constant conversions, awakenings. That, that Christ is finding layers in peter's life and saying here 's another area hey peter here 's another area and it 's not simply that he keeps sinning and have to repent it 's just it 's like more layers beneath the surface of the iceberg and I would suggest that that 's what it 's like for us and what we 're doing is we 're going through this series emotionally healthy spirituality we 're seeking over these weeks to discover like what might be some layers in your life and in my life that I don't even know they're there and I don't even know that they haven't been converted yet I don't even know that they haven't been transformed by Christ but until I know I'm never even gonna lay it before him and say hey this is like this is an area that's that's not part of the family of God it's part of my old life and so that's what we're doing in this process if you if you got a bulletin would you read with me there's a phrase do you see that phrase right underneath kind of the our, our, our logo of emotionally healthy spirituality read it with me if you would it's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature read that one more time with me it's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature and so what we're doing is the first weekend, we, we looked at this idea of what, is it, what does it mean to go beneath the surface of the iceberg? Like if my life, if you, know, you guys see me, you interact with me, even my family, people who know me, they only see a portion of Brent. If I were to be honest, I only know a portion of Brent. There's a whole aspect of beneath the, the surface of the iceberg who I am, again, what Scripture calls the heart. And so we talked about what does it mean to, to look beneath the surface. The second week, we looked at this idea of how do we break the power of the past? Our, our, our families that we came from and even past experiences have largely shaped, they've, they've, they've given rules to how we behave, how we act even now as adults and engage in other relationships. And once I know that, the third principle was that Pastor Rob spoke of last week is, then I have one or I, I, have, I have two choices. I can either, I can either cover up, I can see some of those broken places and weaknesses and things that are there and I just kind of keep pushing them under the surface or I can live in brokenness I can live in vulnerability and be the kind of person who says I'm not perfect and I don't have it all together and following Christ is one who is transparent and aware that it's a constant conversion it's a constant transformation it's a constant awakening in my life and so the principle that that we're gonna get to tonight is this idea of living in brokenness, I'm sorry, is uh, receiving the gift of limits. What does that mean to receive the gift of limits? Um, ever wondered, the Bible speaks of Jesus in this phrase. It speaks of him as the last Adam. You ever run across that before if you read in like the book of Romans chapter five, it talks about this idea that, that Jesus is the last Adam. Adam here's here's what i think that that means or what's going on there adam okay the very first human being back in genesis was was given the entire world right everything for stewardship to take care of it as a steward as a manager and to enjoy it to be able to drink it in and enjoy all that was there but but he was given one limit he was given one boundary something a tree which which was out of bounds genesis 2:16 says and as we know, Adam refused to live within those limits. He, he, he oversteps those bounds. And as a result, his perfect right to rule, it was, it was torn away from him. And, and Adam, in the, in the Hebrew language, just, it's, it's like the general word for man. Okay? It's like if you're, you know, Eve is the name, it just means mother of all living. That's what the name means. Adam just means like man, humanity. Okay, but that's the first man's name. And, and all the other Adams, all the other humans that that come afterwards, now live in, it's like a new dimension. It's like a new reality in which they constantly find themselves stepping over limits, stepping over God-given boundaries in their life. Israel's very first king, you remember who that was? This guy by the name of Saul, okay? He... Saul is he, he's like the hope of Israel he's like the gem. he's the prize of Israel and there's this account in first Samuel chapter 13 he's about to go into battle as the king and as king he has vast authority he has extreme sovereignty power to make so many decisions to do so many things as the king of all Israel but there was one thing he couldn't do he could not make the sacrifice that was a prerequisite before going into battle he was not allowed to do that only the prophet samuel in this case only the prophet could make that sacrifice this is almost like the separation of powers as we think about our own government today and so, what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 18, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8, is Saul's waiting, because the prophet said, I'll be there in seven days, right before the battle, I'll come, I'll do the sacrifice, and then God will bless you, and you'll go in. And so, Saul's waiting. King Saul, he's looking, and Samuel's nowhere around, and his men are kind of starting to get nervous. They're wondering, you know, some are even walking off. And let me read this passage to you, First Samuel chapter 13, verse 8. He, speaking of Saul, he waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings, and then verse 10, listen to this, just as he finished making the offering, Samuel shows up. He's like walking over the horizon. The second it's done, he shows up. And Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. And Saul replies. Okay, he stepped, he's, he's crossed a boundary, a God-given boundary. He said, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come by the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought Yahweh's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering And Samuel says, you acted foolishly. You have not kept the command, this is that limit, this is that God-given boundary, that the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and has appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command what we realize is Saul oversteps this God-given boundary in his life now he's got a lot of reason to do it he feels this compulsion that he needs to do it I really ought to I really should he's even maybe thinking about others maybe it's not even a selfish decision but but he oversteps a a God-given boundary or limit in his life and like the first Adam the kingdom is torn away from him in fact, literally, just a couple chapters later, when Samuel is ready to leave at one point, and, and Saul's begging him, please don't do this, and he grabs for his, like, his robe, and it tears, it tears the hem of his coat, and, and Samuel turns around, and he uses it as an illustration. He says, that's what God's going to do to the kingdom to you. He's going to tear it away from you. You forfeited it because of how you've, you've transgressed this boundary that God has set up in your life. And on down the line even to the the best and the brightest Adams men they overstep their God-given limits and they and they meet this same tragic end listen to 1 Corinthians 15 45 Paul writes so it is written the first man Adam became a living being the last Adam a life-giving spirit see there were a series of Adams and they all crossed the boundaries, they all broke the limits, none of them could do it, but he speaks, he says, Jesus is the last Adam, he's the last one to come. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 14, nonetheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who, who was a pattern of the one to come. Consequently, just as one trespass, that's that stepping over the limits, resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act, this is Jesus living in the limits that the Father gave him, resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the, the disobedience of one man, they were, uh, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the last Adam, the many will be made righteous. Jesus, the last Adam, in and of himself, like like in his divine, eternal nature, he had no limits. He had no boundaries. This is the divine, the one who spoke in our worlds, leapt into existence, through whom everything that was created, the New Testament says, has been created. And yet when he became human, Scripture tells us, he lived a life in which he allowed the Father to set limits to set boundaries in his life the very first 30 years of Jesus's life as far as we know he uh, he didn't do any miracles um, he, he lived within this this God given limit or, or boundary he was he was a faithful son right he was a faithful employee as a carpenter he would have been a faithful member of his community member of, of his synagogue but it wasn't until the whole until the father commissioned him at his water baptism that that he stepped into this new phase of life and I don't think that the first 30 years were a waste do you (laughs) you ever thought about that you know why don't we hear more about it I, I don't know I think I think the focus of what he was doing was those last three years but I would suggest the first 30 years were not a waste the first 30 years were Jesus living learning to live within boundaries Learning to live within those limits that the Father set up for him for the critical last three years of his life, and so Jesus, um, immediately after his baptism, you remember what happens to him? The Spirit drives him out into the wilderness. It says for this time of like testing, right? He spends forty days withholding food from himself. He's he's fasting. He's in prayer. He's at the start of his mission, and at the end of that period, he's hungry. Isn't food for forty days? It says that the enemy, Satan, comes to to tempt him, right? Think about the temptations, stones to bread. Jesus, you were born in a cave. Uh, You were a refugee in Africa, okay? You're from a family of of no importance at all. You've had a lot of hard things in your life. The least you can do is to meet the small need of yours. And Jesus says, I'm going to live within the boundaries, and the stones stay stones, takes him to the temple, to the highest place. He says, throw yourself off. I mean, just think about this, Jesus. If, if, if you could absolutely demonstrate, how many times do people say, if I could just see a miracle, right? If you could just demonstrate, everyone would believe. They would repent. They would serve God. They would recognize that he's with you. And the kingdom of God is here, and it's now. That sounds pretty good. But Jesus, he commits himself to live within the Father's timing, the Father's limits that he's placed on him. The third thing is that he's brought to this high mountain. And remember he's shown, it says, all the kingdoms of the world. So he sees like, he sees like the glory of Rome, right? He sees, he sees the brilliance of Athens. He sees the, the, the riches of Alexandria, right? The majesty of Corinth. And Satan says, it's all, it's, you can have all that and think what, what good you could do if you had it, right? I'm talking about winning the lottery. Think of all the wonderful things you could do because you have a heart that's right for God. Just one small moment. You just cross that line for a tiny second and bow down to me. And, and it's, God's kingdom is here. It's all there. Right? And once again, he lives within the Father's boundaries and he turns around and he walks off the mountain and another step closer to the cross. One of the most amazing statements in Scripture made by a mere Adam, a mere man about embracing God-given limits was was made by the very last prophet before Jesus came, John the Baptist, the very last prophet. Um, John the Baptist was this prophetic preparation. He was said to to sort of uh, make way for the Messiah. He was the last one. He was kind of setting the hearts of the people right for, for when the Messiah came. And, you know, John the Baptist had a huge following, so much so that the first-century Roman historian by the name of Josephus, he was a Jew, but he followed the Romans, he actually gave more time in his writing to Josephus than he did to Jesus, because John the Baptist had this huge following, and he... He was understood as almost more of a, of a potential political threat than Jesus was. You know, because Jesus seemed to say these things like, my kingdom's not of this world, and he's doing this stuff. But John the Baptist has this enormous following. It's huge. And what's interesting is when, when Jesus comes on the scene... After he starts his ministry at the very height of John the Baptist's success in ministry, some of the crowds begin to switch their allegiance. They begin to follow Jesus, and some of John's followers come to him and they're they're kind of whining about this and going, "Do you realize that your your numbers are diminishing? You don't have the approval rating that you used to have. There's someone who's kind of taking taking the limelight, and you don't have that anymore." And you remember what he said? It's like amazing. It's the most amazing statement. He says, I accept my limits. I accept my humanity. I accept my declining popularity. I am not the center of the universe. I am not God. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. He understood that that those limits that God gave him were for a time, and they've changed now. It's a different season. So here's what I want to talk about in our remaining minutes. To be an apprentice of Jesus... The biblical word for that is disciple. We have to be able to embrace our God-given limits. And how do we do that? You don't have any notes on on your handout, but if you want to write these down, I'll, I'll give you a few ideas. The first thing that I would say is I have to be able to discern my limits, meaning know what they are. How do we do that? A couple different examples or a couple different steps that I'll give you. The first one is do you know your personality? Your personality is a limit for you in one way or another. uh, Do you get energy from being around people? Are you an extrovert? Do you get energy from from completing tasks? Are you an introvert? Um, Are you more like spontaneous and creative in some ways? Or are you more like controlled and orderly? How about like when it comes to like risk taking? Are, are you more of a, you know, you're willing to, on a continuum, man, I'm, I'm definitely willing to take risks. Or are you saying, no, I'm someone who's more, I'm more conservative. I tend to ma- manage and maintain on a daily basis. Um, there's a story by uh, uh, Parker Palmer, a man in a book that he writes. He tells a story about a time when he was asked to be the president of a college and and so he you know he was trying to decide so he he brought like his closest friends together with him and he said would you just pray about this with me i'm trying to figure out should i do it should i take this role he was a he was a teacher and instructor prior to it and so one of his friends said well well, like parker like what what would you like most about being president and he said well you know i i wouldn't like not teaching anymore you know that 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 kind of be a bummer he goes you know and i I wouldn't like not having my summers off. You know, that's, I mean, that's a big part for me and my family, what we do, and you know, he went on, he said, okay, but his friends again, so, so like, what would you like most about being president? He goes, well, you know, I wouldn't like wearing a suit and tie every day. I think that'd kind of be a drag, and you know, I wouldn't, um, you know, I wouldn't like all the politics, and you know, like not knowing who you could trust and who your friends are, and, and, and I wouldn't, and then he realized, I guess, I guess what I would like most in a moment of honesty uh, I guess what I'd like most is to have my picture in the paper with the word president underneath it. And he kind of got it at that moment. He realized if I were to make that decision to take that role, it would be a disaster for me, for the college as well. And so he, he, he realized that, that his personality kind of was determining where he went. Um, how many of you have ever taken, like, a personality assessment or, or profile of some sort? This is one of the reasons. If you haven't been, like, to our Summit Two class, where they do the shape thing of your, you know, S-H-A-P-E, it's like spiritual gifts and what's your heart, what's your personality and experiences and all these sorts of things. And even if you have done that, I would suggest go online. Take the, even if you've done it 100 times, take it because as we go back to who I am, this is going beneath the surface of the iceberg to say, like, how has God shaped me? And I wonder, do you think it's even possible that our personality kind of like tweaks over time, that as we grow older, as we have different experiences, that we kind of change? This is part of discipleship. Do you know your personality? Second way that you can discern your limits is the season of life. Um, season of life is a big deal. You know what what kind of season you're in. Um, I I ask my kids a question in the every once in a while I'll just ask them a question. Like we're driving in the car, like when they start fighting, I ask a question to try to like, channel all that energy and stuff. And so I asked them a question. Uh, this is like a couple months ago, this summer, and I've got four kids in the back seat from from nine down to three at the time. I uh, the youngest just turned four a little bit ago. But I said, "Okay, guys, hey." If you, could, if you could be anything you want when you grow up, this is like a limits question, right? If you could be anything you want, what, what would you be? You have two choices. And so, and so Keaton, my nine-year-old, as I start from oldest to youngest, okay? Now listen to how the concept of limits slowly goes away the younger we get here. <laughs> Keaton, my nine-year-old, says, well, I either want to be a SWAT cop, or I want to be rich. And I said, okay, <laughs> okay. How about, how about you, Brielle? You know, she's, she's eight. And I said, Brielle, how, you know, what would you want to be? Uh, She said, I either want to be a maid or an artist. (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh, So how about Serena? She's five. I said, Serena, what do you want to be? She said, I either want to be, uh, listen to the contrast here, I either want to be a queen or I want to work at Noodles & Company. (laughs) I said, okay. And then Talon, who was three at the time, I said, okay, Talon, how about you, like, like, like what would you... And he answered, like, like, he had already been thinking about this for days, you know, like he knew what his answer was. He goes, well, I either want to be a boy-tooth fairy or a groundhog. <laughs> you, know, you know, his brother and sister's like, you can't be a groundhog, and, you know, why not? Why can't I be a groundhog? Listen to what, listen to what someone who's slightly wiser than my aspiring groundhog son set about limits in life, Ecclesiastes three one through eight, Solomon said this: There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens. There is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, time to draw, a time to tear down and a time to build, time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, time to scatter stones, a time to gather time to embrace, a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, and he goes on and on recognizing that there are seasons in life. Parenting has seasons, doesn't it? Um, there are seasons when our children are very small and we need to stay at home, right? There are seasons I'm told where they will no longer be at the house. Where where they become teenagers and, and and it's like we're thrust into a whole new season of life. I got this email from from a friend of mine just today actually, who, who who was talking about this whole concept of like limits in her life and she was she's at a place where she said we've always had this big heart for like you know wanting to reach the needy and 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 the orphans and the uh, those who who don't have and she and her husband have three kids who are um, uh, six seven and eight years old three boys. And so they, you know, they thought, what should we do? And they've been reading these books that are all about like crazy love and relentless and go and give, and they're just going, you know, maybe, maybe that's what we should do. And so, they, and so they wanted to get involved in the foster care system, and they, and they did. And like four days after they got approved, they got the call. And it was, we have two little baby girls, one's one year old and one's two, and they can't be with their family because it's a, it's a bad, bad situation Would you take them. And with some like trepidation, they go, yeah. You know, we're, we're going to step out for God. We want to do this. And, and she, she told me this story about how she took these two little girls. Let me just read you, like, two paragraphs of this, of this email from this friend of mine. She said, it's difficult to, des- to describe what transpired over the next month. I did a stellar job at logistics, feeding, bathing, clothing, and transporting five kids. <clears throat> but I was failing on every front that really mattered, consistent discipleship, patience, self-control. Christ likeness I felt as though I was living in a constant state of panic I was merely suppressing the chaos which was my life if at any moment I looked away or tried to catch my breath the suppressed chaos would absolutely explode raw motion from every family member would would be dripping off every surface and she said I pray daily father I know your grace is sufficient I know your strength is perfect in weakness please perfect my weakness with your strength Surely you see how badly this is going. Help me love them well. Give me your heart to love these children. She said, "You know, I, I saw them there raised, but these these two little baby girls lived with them for, for 16 months, and it was on December 1st that they got the call and they can go back with the family. And so she said, she and the social worker brought her back and uh, these two little girls back and gave them to the family. She said, as I left, I just like I I mean, I love these I love these little girls, but she said there was this weight of our family just dying." That, that when I drove away, my heart was breaking because I loved them, and I was worried, and I thought I'd never see them, and yet there was this, like, weight that came off me, and she said, December 31st, 30 days later, I got a call. They're back in Child Protective Services. And they said, would you take them? And she said, I didn't, I didn't know what to do, and I prayed about it, and she said, and I, I didn't tell the kids, but I, I, I told my husband, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't have the, I don't have the emotional energy to do it. And listen to these last words. I'll read this last paragraph. She said, after confessing that to my husband, the enemy began slinging his flaming arrows at me. Didn't you say you would take them back if they came into this care? You lied to keep up appearance. Didn't you say you'd like to adopt someday? You liar. It was all pretense for your own glorification. You're a failure and since the girls won't be with you but with some other family instead everyone is going to know what a complete failure you are shame on you for not wanting to take care of those little girls what kind of mother doesn't want to take care of two sweet adorable little girls when your boys grow up they're gonna wonder what kind of mother would do such a thing you're being selfish just withdraw yourself from the church life right now you said you did this in the name of Jesus what kind of testimony do you have now you quoted scripture his strength is perfect in weakness but your actions show you don't believe it you should be ashamed you hypocrite she said this is where I lived on her end and she said she she prayed about it. she talked with friends and and she had this this one friend in particular who said um, God's grace is still sufficient and in fact, maybe it's sufficient in you saying no to a compulsion you have inside you to cross a God-given limit in your life. Maybe you, you feel this need, you should do this, but maybe this season of life, God's saying no. And she said, what, what he's shown me more than anything else is that my, my God-given limit is to raise these three boys and to provide them with a, with a home which is stable. And I couldn't do that as much as that was a good thing, as much as it was a great thing. I had to say no <clears throat> to that thing in my life what are the warning signals in your life when you've stepped over boundaries or limits god-given limits Oftentimes, let me let me read this little sentence for you here this is from peter skizzero this book that we're kind of launching off of just because he says it well he says anger depression and rage for example are often uh... often function as oil lights in our lives, informing us that something is not right on the inside of the engine of our lives. This is often one of the ways that God stops us and gets our attention. Let me give you a little test here. If, like, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to make nine statements, and if these are true, just like make a little jot, make a little check mark, a note on your piece of paper, okay? Um, I am anxious. Maybe not right now, but I'm saying, you know, through the day, is that, is that like a pattern in your life? I'm anxious. Number two, I'm rushing or hurrying like like regularly. Is that is that a characteristic do you think? Number three, my body is in a knot. Four, I am doing too many things. Five, my mind cannot stop racing. Slow down. I'm racing. Number six, I am driving too fast. I think that literally means driving your car too fast. Number seven, I am not able to be fully present with people. Number eight, I am irritable about the simple task of life, like having to wait in line at a supermarket. (laughs) And the last one, I am skimming over time with God. How How many checks do you have? There were nine possible, right? Could this be a sign that there are God-given limits or boundaries in your life which you, you are overstepping for, for numerous good, I'll put that in parentheses, quotation marks, good reasons? Parker Palmer, the, the uh, gentleman I mentioned earlier, he said this, self-care, that's this whole idea of saying you're looking at who I am. Self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship, I love this, of the only gift I have. The gift I was put on earth to offer to others, isn't that interesting? If, and listen, we're going to go into more depth, next week we're going to talk about this whole idea of, of um, or I'm sorry, in a couple of weeks, stopping to breathe the air of eternity. Like what does it mean to have daily rhythms in our life? But we have to develop healthy boundaries in relationships even in our life. Um, saying no, do you have a hard time saying no? like when you're asked to do something is is that like the biggest I was thinking about this the other day I I went into Sam's Club and I and I walked in and I was going up to the front um, of the store, and there were people out front, like, selling things, and I don't even know what it was. I didn't even look long enough, and I was Girl Scouts were up there selling stuff. And so I, I'd make a quick right, like, and i go, go kind of, like, through the liquor store entrance, and i go in, you know, because I miss them. And, and then as soon as I go into the main part, right at the optical, I take an immediate left because there's uh, a Direct TV guy there, and he's selling stuff. So, so I take a left right there, and I kind of walk around, get my stuff there. And then as I go through, like, the, uh, the food section, they've got people with, uh, you know, free samples, which I love. I mean, I just, I live for that. It's like back in the college days, I used to go there for free food. And, but, but, but it's like, and so walk up, and, and I can't just like get something and walk by. I kind of have to stop, and, you know, I mean, I hope they're not there, but if they are, then, oh, how, you know, what, like, what temperature would you cook this at? Oh, and I kind of act like I'm going to buy it, you know, kind of like, where, so where are these located? You know, right over there. And, you know, if the kids are with me, I'll say, you know, should we, you know, maybe we should go ask mom if, you know, if we should buy this. Like, mom's at home, and I'm like, shut no, we're going to, we're going, you know, do I have a problem saying no? Yeah, I hate it. I hate, To a stranger, I hate saying no. Why? Because I want them to like me, right? I want their approval. I want them to think well of me. And so I hate that idea of saying no. We talked the other week about the reality of when, when we become Christians, we, we begin the process of being, remember this phrase, reparented, Right? because, because I, I have a family situation, I have a background, I have experiences that have shaped me, and as I enter the family of God through Scripture and community, I am reparented, and these are the different areas that, that I have to say, like, where are my boundaries? And just kind of as a side note, let me give you a couple suggestions. If this is a place where you'd say, man, I struggle with boundaries, and it could be on either side, let me give you two book suggestions. The first one is a book just with that name, Boundaries. And there's one that's just general boundaries. Uh, there's another one called Boundaries in Marriage, Boundaries with Teens, you know, Boundaries in Dating. But get a book on boundaries. It, it's, it's by Cloud and Towns and we have it in our bookstore. Another book is if you would say, you know what, I'm not good at boundaries and, and I pick unsafe people to be in relationship with. Could be friends, could be others. There's a book, same authors, it's called Safe People. You need to get the, if you do not have boundaries, you need to figure out, how do I have those in life? Because those are those God-given limits, I would suggest, okay? Now let me make one stipulation here before we kind of wrap this up. One qualification. I must constantly ask myself a question. Are there limits in my life that God is asking me to break through because they're a result of maybe a character flaw? Right. Um, I'll give you an example. I am like, I am a people-oriented versus task-oriented. Okay, so if I'm if I'm having a conversation with someone because I'm people-oriented, you know, I might have a meeting coming up afterwards, which is a task for me or something else to do. I will easily go long in in my conversation. I'll be late because to me, the person is more important and would you believe that my wife doesn't always think that and like the people I work for don't always think that so you know you show up late to something and they're frustrated, and they feel disrespected you know to me I don't I don't see it that way that's a lack of discipline in my life right that's a boundary that I can't do well that's me that's who I am that's a boundary that's not okay right that's a character flaw in my life that I need to learn how to be a safe person how to have appropriate boundaries as I engage with other people but see it even even limitations, I have to ask the question: Is this limitation that God wants me to live within, or is it a limitation that maybe God is asking me to step outside of? Because you know, you think about, it, you look at Scripture. There are plenty of limitations that God, in a miraculous way, moves us beyond. Right? How old was Sarah when God said, "You know what? You're going to have a baby." You know, yeah, like ninety, right? Uh, Paul says in Romans, Abraham was as good as dead, (laughs) right? I mean, he couldn't, I mean, the guy's old. There's no way. That's a boundary. And yet God does this miraculous thing, right? Guys like, you know, Jeremiah um, and Elijah are are prone to depression, and yet God does some phenomenal things through their life. So this isn't the idea of just say, oh, every single weakness and flaw I have, that's a boundary, and I'm going to live within. But the rule of wisdom which that's what scripture is about. It's not about giving laws, do this, don't do that. The rule of wisdom asks questions and says, I need to go before God and lay me, all of me, beneath the surface and say, God, what do you want me to do with these? Because I've got limits in my life. Are these ones you're asking me to live within? Are these ones that maybe through faith you're asking me to, to step over? Hebrews chapter 11 is full of, of these heroes of the faith who conquered, did all these things um, and, and overstepped boundaries in their life. But what are the limits here? And here's the thing, choosing to live emotionally healthy, emotionally healthy spirituality will involve you constantly coming back to this, constantly reevaluating your boundaries in your life. And what I want to do is that I'm going to invite the band to come up. And I want us to pray in, in specifically two categories as, as we come before God and ask the question, is God calling you to, to kind of lay yourself down, okay, to, to submit to a boundary in your life, maybe just for this season, maybe something's going on in your life, that he's asking you just to lay yourself down? And if so, you know what? God's grace is sufficient. He'll help you in that. And you're, you might have to push your pride down. God will meet those needs. And there, there might even be some grief over not being able to do maybe there's a preferred future that you had in mind that you know what you're not gonna make it there now right because this limit says you you won't get there maybe it's a God-given limit and you might have to grieve over that next week we're gonna be talking about grief and loss as a principle to being an emotionally healthy person but secondly is God calling you to lay yourself down by maybe carefully stepping outside of some particular limit, again, maybe due to some character flaw in your life, which he's going to expand your soul, because here, too, his grace is sufficient, right? I'm going to ask our ushers to come. We're going we're to take communion, and here's what I would ask you to do. We're going to sing a song in which the language is, I lay myself down. It's a, it's a, it's a submission language. And of course, the meal we're eating is a submission meal in which Christ accepted the boundaries on his life and he laid himself down and he calls us to follow him in the same manner. So would you take these next few moments? If you are a follower of Christ, we invite you to take this. If you're exploring him, we're glad you're here. You can just let these elements pass by. And as the band plays this song, I want you to, before God, ask that question, what are the limits that God's asking you to live within, or maybe step over? How do I lay myself down? Hold them, and then we'll come back together and take it in just a moment. Hands, a a a meal that's about surrender. It's about limits, about following God's limits. And you know, on that night that that Christ was betrayed, He took those symbols of freedom and He said, "This is freedom for you because it's limits for me." All right? This this bread represents my body, which is broken for you, and because it's broken, because it's limited, you have brand new freedom with the Father let's take the bread and in the same way after the meal he took a cup which is about the limit of his life his, his blood was shed and he said because it's shed it opens up new limits for you new relationship with God a new covenant new way of relating with him and he says every time you take this you proclaim my death in the past until I come let's take the cup Heavenly Father, as we were just singing, Lord, there's, to live without you is not life. And God, when we, when we transcend, when we go past, God-given limits and boundaries in our life. Father, we find ourselves unplugged from you. We find ourselves kind of on our own without your power because we've, we've moved beyond where you've called us to live sometimes that's in our own strength and sometimes we do it for wonderful purposes, but it's not your calling, God. So would you give us the spiritual discernment and wisdom, Father, to know the boundaries in which you call our lives to be. And God, I pray for that person who maybe feels like the limit on their life right now, it's a hard limit. It's difficult. Lord, would you empower them? Would you allow them to see that your grace is sufficient for this season of life and that they are in the hands of an infinitely capable God who sees tomorrow from today? And God, for the person who's, who's maybe, maybe feeling stretched by you, God, to, to step out of a limit, would you again be sufficient for them in your power and grace? And even tonight, God, as they go, With they feel a renewed energy, God, to follow you, to live within the pattern of what you're calling them to. That's what we want to do, God, because we want to have spirituality that is informed by by a healthy picture of what it means to follow you. Give us that. God, we, we recognize that it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature, and so we pursue you, and as a matter of discipleship of your Son, We ask that you would expand our hearts. God, we love you. Go with us, Father, in all that we do. Say and think. We pray this in your son's name. And we all said together, amen, amen. Hey, our prayer team is going to be up here. We would love to pray with you. Have a wonderful night. We'll see you guys this weekend.